Everybody, welcome back to To The Point. Hope you all had a great weekend and a start to your week. We have a lot to chat about here today. The MLB trade deadline is in a few hours. 5 p.m. Atlantic time, all trades will be finalized, rosters will be done, and there's no more waiver deadline, so this is it. Once the trades happen, rosters are done, we'll have a two-month just barrage of games to see who will make the postseason. Currently, all five wildcard teams in the National League are separated by a game. And you have the Cubs separated by three and a half. In the American League, the Angels are still very much in it. The Red Sox are still very much in it. The Seattle Mariners are hanging around the periphery. You have the Guardians, of course, the Blue Jays. So there's there's still a lot to be decided. Divisions are certainly not wrapped up yet. So we have a two month of two months of interesting baseball to come. We'll talk about all the trades that have happened so far and some of the results from last night on today's program. Also, UFC 291, really great event over the weekend in my favorite city, Salt Lake City, Utah. Huge win by Justin Gaethje. We'll talk about where he goes from here and what's to come in the lightweight division. Also want to get into the Terrence Crawford, Earl Spence Jr. fight, which was fantastic. Uh, so a lot, lot to talk about in the MMA world. We'll also get into some NFL storylines with Joe Burrow avoiding significant injury, which was which is great news for the NFL, for Netflix, the quarterbacks uh, series season two, and the Cincinnati Bengals, obviously. Jalen Ramsey, sounds like he's going to be okay. He's going to miss some time. And we got just drama in Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor and... And, and the owner, Jim Irsay, because Jim Irsay is another owner who can't keep his mouth shut and has to has to have his feelings heard on everything, which, if you're an owner, is never a smart thing to do in the world of sports. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Well, let's start with baseball. We are two months away from the postseason, two months away from October. It is literally two months. It's August 1st. If you can believe it, July is over. I'm slowly crying inside, but we still have a month of nice weather. I guess that's the optimistic way to look at this. But we started baseball in late March, playing through April, May, June, July. And here we are. Most teams have under 60 games left to play. A lot of division games left, a lot to be decided. And teams are loading up and deciding on what they want to do going into the final two months. Are they buyers? Are they, are they sellers? And it's clear from some teams what they are. The Chicago White Sox are sellers. They traded Lucas Giolito to the Los Angeles Angels. He made his first start Friday night against the Blue Jays. It was not a winning effort, but he was moved. They're selling. They then traded Lance Lynn, another starting pitcher, and reliever Joe Kelly to the Los Angeles Dodgers. So two more pieces out of Chicago heading out west, and they wrapped up their weekend trading one of their key relievers, Kendall Graveman, to the Houston Astros as they try to win back-to-back World Series titles. 
So you have the White Sox, who are complete sellers. What did they do with Tim Anderson at shortstop? We'll get into more from the weekend, but I want to talk about Tim Anderson directly here. If you weren't watching the Blue Jays game last night, they're playing the Baltimore Orioles, and they lost another game. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Dave. I uh, see in the comments. Complete yes, if, you, if you're watching the video, I uh, got a haircut for the first time in 10 months. And yeah, look a little different. Still trying to wrap my head around it. Don't don't always love it, but I did love the long hair, but still here. So I appreciate the uh, the the comment. So I appreciate that. What I will say is the, the Blue Jays last night, they're playing the Orioles. And Bo Bichette rounds first, and he seemed to have a knee problem. He left the game, and Santiago Esmail had to come in. That's not the bigger topic of discussion. Blue Jays lose again. They're 7-21 in the American League East. Woof. The big thing here is, is Bo Bichette really hurt? Blue Jays are going to release a statement later on today. And if there is a significant injury, they have to they have to trade for Tim Anderson. Because he's the best shortstop available. His bat is not what it used to be. Bo Bichette leads the American League in hits. He's having a fantastic season. He's great. And if he's injured, you can't replace it. But Santiago Espinal or Kevin Biggio or a plethora of others from AAA cannot play everyday shortstop and the the Toronto Blue Jays need another good need need another good bat cuz Vladdy is going to have less than 25 home runs this season looks like unless he gets really hot over the last 2 months George Springer did not play last night he's 0 for his last 30 at the plate they don't know what to do with him thank god for Whit Merrifield who's been fantastic and they acquired him at last year's trade deadline He's played everywhere, but he's batting over 300. Hit another home run last night. But this team has good pitching. They have a good bullpen. But if they don't get another high-quality bat, if Bo Bichette is injured long-term, even if he misses a couple weeks, they very well could be in trouble. Because they don't have the depth to beat anybody. They don't have the depth to keep ahead of these surging teams. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are still a flawed team. Certainly. But Shohei Otani is playing great every night. He had another two hits last night, a couple walks, as the Angels beat the best team in baseball, the Atlanta Braves. They've traded for pieces. They've gotten better. I don't know if the Blue Jays can stay ahead of them in the standings, even after taking two out of three against them this weekend. The Boston Red Sox have not lost to the Blue Jays all season long. They're 7-0 against the Blue Jays, meaning they own you. And if your team is worse, you're without your best hitter, good luck beating that team. So this isn't a Blue Jays shot. They're just that's one of the biggest names that could be off the board because of an injury. The Blue Jays' best player this year by far has been Bo Bichette. If he's not available, you they need to trade for Tim Anderson to the Chicago White Sox. And I'd be stunned if 
I think they should even do it even if there isn't injury, even if there isn't a big injury. They need depth. They need guys that they're playing Luke Lowe last night came off the bench as a pinch hitter. Espinal is 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 an option. I don't love their bats off the bench. One of the key things in postseason is do you have somebody who can come in and pinch hit that can actually do something? You can have a pinch hitter, but if he's not worth a fuck, then who cares? It's just another strikeout. It's just another at-bat gone. And I like having an Adam Duvall, like the Braves used to have when they won the World Series. He didn't play every game, but he pinch hit, and he had a lot of big moments for the Braves that helped them win. Jorge Soler did not play every game, but he had a huge pinch hit homer in the NL Championship Series in Game 6. Looking at the Blue Jays, they don't have a lot of depth. They don't have a great farm system. Nobody's coming up that's going to help this team significantly. So it needs to be done through trade. I understand it from ownership that they don't want to spend a whole lot more money. I wouldn't want to either because this team is frustrating. They can't win in their own division. 7-21 and 21 in the American League East. That's pathetic. And yes, the Orioles are a really good team. And yes, the, the Red Sox have been better than we expected. And the Rays had the best record through April. All true. But before the season, the Blue Jays had the best odds in the division to win the division and to win the World Series. And yet, here we stand where we don't know where they're going. They're in, a, they're in a weird position. Yes, there's two months, but I don't have faith in this team. I don't. Okay, they're better than the New York Yankees. The, I've been saying this for months. The Yankees stink. The Yankees are not a playoff team. The Yankees are a sad sack. They can't hit a damn thing. They can't hit with runners, runners in scoring position. They haven't done anything to the trade deadline yet. You know why? Because Brian Cashman knows what this team is. That they aren't very good. That they don't have anything to trade. They would be sellers if they had anything to sell. Domingo Herman is who through a a perfect game a couple weeks ago is coming out of the bullpen now. Pitched out of the pen last night against Tampa Bay Rays. Aaron Judge is back. He's striking out, but he can't do everything himself. Anthony Rizzo has lost all confidence. I mean, it's just a complete mess in the Bronx. So the Blue Jays are better than that team. I don't... Are they better than the Red Sox? Sure. Sure, but they never beat them. When they go head-to-head, the Red Sox find a way to win those games. So... The way it looked, Bo, I, I don't think Bo Bichette's going to be playing tonight at the Rogers Center against the Orioles, if I had to guess. I don't think he will be. And maybe there'll be a surprise name that comes to mind, but to me, Tim Anderson is the, is the name that jumps out because he's a better defender than Bo Bichette already. And he used to be a 300 hitter. Maybe he can get hot for two months and really help this team. 
He can be at the bottom of your lineup and he can find a way to get hits. He's got speed on the bases when he does get on base. So he provides some things that, that would be very attractive to the Blue Jays. You know, I said Paul DeYoung is, is rumored as well from the St. Louis Cardinals who are also in cell mode. That would be less appealing to me. I think you want to get the best defender that you can get and a bat that has the potential to be very productive. That was a big... From last night, yes, they lose the game, and that happens. Chris Bassett had a rough start, found it a little bit, but the Orioles' bats were better than the Blue Jays, which they have been all year. But if you don't have Bo Bichette, then you need to do something. It isn't, oh, I think we need to do something. It's, no, 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 we have to do something. Because Espinal playing every other day, him playing short, who's playing higher in your lineup, where are you putting everybody? I don't know. So when it comes to today's moves, I expect the Blue Jays to land a shortstop by the end of the day. And I'd be surprised if they didn't. Even if Bobachet is cleared and he's playing by Thursday. I still think they need some depth. Because this team, Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, who normally don't come out and give expectations, normally are very subdued. They go through an interview and try to say nothing like other executives in Toronto. They said at the beginning of the year, we, we want to make the playoffs and we feel we're a World Series team. That's on the record. That's in the ethos. That is, that's been said. So the genie's out of the bottle. You can't take it back. As an executive, if you say we are a World Series team, we feel we can win a World Series, once you say it, that's the expectation. Dave Roberts, every year, manager for the Dodgers, if you're not familiar, uh, familiar, he says every year, our goal is to win the World Series. That's our objective. That means you're a World Series team. That pressure is put upon you. He can do that because he because he manages the Dodgers. The Dodgers have an endless supply of cash, and that is their goal every year. Well, the Blue Jays, that was their goal. In August, yes, they're in a playoff position, so that's a positive. But to me, I live in the world of reality. I don't live in the world of, okay, let's sunshine and rainbows, and let's make everything feel better than it actually is. Their season has not been what they expected, what the fans expected. They have the third least man games lost in Major League Baseball, and they counted the Hinjin Ryu losses, which really, do they really even count? But they have, they have, they've had no injuries. They've had no real problems. Alec Manoa has been a disaster, but their pitching's been pretty good. No injuries, no drama, and yet they are in the third wildcard position in the American League. And they are in third place in their own division. Yes, okay, toughest division in baseball, blah, blah. That's, that, them's the breaks. 
That's just the way the cookie crumbles. I don't care. Now we're August. They can still make moves. They can make a few duel, make a few deals and get better. Certainly. They got a couple hours here. But if it doesn't go well, God forbid you miss the playoffs. There's going to have to be somebody to pay for, for that sin, if you will. There's going to have to be somebody that takes it on the chin. Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, it's not another, okay, I think we can turn this around. No, that's not going to be the narrative. To me, there will be a change, a GM or a manager or something. They've already fired one manager. Firing John Schneider a year and a half after you fired Charlie Montoyo. I doubt it, but you never know. My thing is, I don't like being hard, too hard on teams. But when you have the expectation to win a World Series, that's your expectation. The Houston Astros have had a weird season as well. Just to put this into context. They're a game ahead of the Blue Jays in the American League wildcard. They've had a weird year. They let Justin Verlander walk to the New York Mets. They've had the most start, uh, innings pitched by rookies this year, coming off a World Series. Jose Altuve, uh, Altuve has played less than 60 games. Jordan Alvarez has played less than 90 games. They've had some things. They haven't had the best of time this year, the, the Houston Astros. But J.P. France and Brandon Belak and players have stepped up. Yanir Diaz. Now, they're only a game better than the Blue Jays, but they've had some reasons as to why they're not as good. But they have the same expectation now that we're August, they're getting healthy, as the Toronto Blue Jays win a World Series. And only one team wins, but that is the expectation. And when you don't meet the expectation, that's when it gets serious. We see at this trade deadline so far, you could argue there's only been one big trade that signals that a team is tr truly trying to win. Maybe two. I'll throw in two in there. The obvious one is Max Scherzer going to the Texas Rangers. Max Scherzer had a full no trade. He's 39 years old. And the Mets had to eat a bunch of money, but he's now in Texas. The Mets get the number three, number three and number fifth, number five ranked Texas prospects. And Max Scherzer goes to Texas, and they're going to try to win a World Series. They spent the most money accumulatively, over the last two off-seasons, getting Trevor Simeon, getting Corey Seager, getting Josh Young coming over from Japan, keeping Gray signed. They've done a lot, Texas. They obviously signed Jacob deGrom, who's not available, coming off Tommy John surgery. But they go out and they get Max Scherzer, the warrior god the World Series champion with the Washington Nationals. They are all in. 
They are all in, and they didn't care that they had to take Scherzer for another year at age 40. To me, they didn't care that his past couple years in the postseason had been subpar, to say the least. They didn't care that he hasn't had a great year in New York, that his velocity has gone down by three miles per hour. They said, we believe the warrior God can get us over the top. Not to mention the Texas Rangers have lost six of their last eight games, and they're only a game up on the Houston Astros for first in the American League West. Sometimes it's just an arms race. It's an arms race to win the division so you don't have to play in a wild card series. So you can avoid that landmine, if you will. Sometimes it's just about accumulating as much talent as you can. Because you look around baseball, the Texas Rangers have had a phenomenal season, but they're only up by a game. The Tampa Bay Rays had the best April in close to 100 years. They are in the first wildcard position, trailing the Baltimore Orioles. So this year in baseball, a lot of teams have been playing good, have been playing really well. But then you go 8-16 and 16 in July, like the Tampa Bay Rays, and before you know it, you're looking up saying, holy shit, the, the Astros are on our heels in the wild card, the Blue Jays are somewhat there, and the Orioles have surpassed us. How did this happen? And you're struggling to find it. For Texas, I don't blame them. You spent all that money, you're trying to win. Do I think Scherzer is a better get than, say, landing Justin Verlander? I do not. Even at an, a year older, Verlander at age 40 is a better postseason pitcher than Max Scherzer at this point because I've seen Verlander do it recently, a.k.a. last year when he, when he won a World Series with the Houston Astros. But you're looking around, and a lot of these teams on the periphery, a lot of these teams still in the hunt, are not trading away pieces. The Chicago Cubs are adding players, not subtracting them. It would surprise me if Marcus Stroman is traded from the Chicago Cubs today because they feel they can make the postseason. They're three and a half games out with two months to play. The Cubs have already told Cody Bellinger he's not going to be traded. Justin Steele is not going to be moved. They're trying to make it. They're trying to make a postseason push. And the thing is, some of these teams are going to be wrong. They're going to make it they're going to make a mistake. But Texas doing this is smart. They also acquired Jordan Montgomery from the St. Louis Cardinals. So they get two starting pitchers and they get Chris Stratton a reliever. And they trade three prospects going back to St. Louis. Montgomery's had a really good year in St. Louis. 342 ERA and 21 starts. On a bad team, you'll take that every day of the week. He's the back end of your rotation. He's not an ace. He's not going to be a guy 
that's asked to do a lot, but can he have some starts down the stretch where he pitches well? That's what you're hoping for. But in Texas, you got Scherzer now. You have John Gray. You have Jordan Montgomery. You have Martin Perez. And you have Nathan Avaldi when available. He's on the IL currently. And you also have Andrew Heaney, who very well can start. But they got two starting pitchers and two relievers, Texas, because they got Stratton. They also acquired Araldis Chapman a while back. He threw a 104-mile-an-hour nasty pitch the other night. He seems to have found his game. They Ownership has done what they can. It's on this team with multiple-time World Series champion Bruce Bochy at manager to figure it out. They played the Padres over the weekend. It did not go well for them. They get the White Sox. That's a good series to get the White Sox. It's never bad to play the White Sox right now. They could even be more depleted if they make more trades today. But Texas is certainly one team that made deals where, to me, it's it's a it's a game changer. Another one you could argue is Tampa trading for starting pitcher Aaron Savali from the Cleveland Guardians. I didn't realize how good his numbers were this year. Sub-3 RA, been really productive. One of the best off-speed pitches in baseball. And Cleveland is in this weird situation where they're six back in the American League wildcard, which means you're out of it. But they're only one game back in their own division because it's the American League Central, and it stinks. But they decide to trade one of their best starting pitchers to get a first baseman prospect named uh, Kyle Mazzardo, where Jeff Passan talked last night that he's a very highly touted prospect, and a lot of people around baseball like him, so they felt they could make the move. For Cleveland, it's a situation where they they may still make it. Who knows? Minnesota's not fun. Neither team is good. Cleveland's a game below 500. Minnesota's a game above 500. But they trade away one of the best starting pitchers. Who knows? They could still make the playoffs. They still could because it's there's no there's no set reason in that division. There's no team that scares you. It's just it's a mismatch of of kind of crap, if you will. But I think the Rays getting another starting pitcher was important for them. They needed that depth. They needed another guy that can throw them innings to put some pressure off Shane McClanahan. Tyler Glass now, who pitched last night in the Bronx, has started to look really well. If he can find his game again, that is a complete game changer for the Rays. But look at the Savali trade. And the Scherzer one, his team's really saying, okay, we're going to try to win, win a World Series. Um, I talked about certain teams are making moves. And some teams will regret them because they don't make the playoffs. I can throw all these teams into the same bucket, if you will. The Arizona Diamondbacks 
traded for all-star closer Paul Sewald last night from the Seattle Mariners. He's got a 293 ERA, 21 saves on the season. And he's very good. Very good. And Arizona felt they needed some help at the back end of their bullpen as they make a push for the postseason. Arizona's been a really surprising team. They're a fun team. They traded with the Blue Jays for Gurriel Jr., for Gabriel Moreno. Corbin Carroll looks like he's going to be the National League Rookie of the Year. Christian Walker's been a really productive player. So they've been a, a, a surprise in a number of ways. They're three and a half back of the Dodgers. So they're not completely out of the division race. But currently, they sit tied for the final wild card spot in the National League. So at this point, they are not in a set position. They are not comfortable. They need to play really good baseball down the stretch to make the postseason, period. But they make this move banking on the fact that their team can do it. Their ownership is giving them the, the right to say, you know what, you need bullpen help, we'll give you some bullpen help, go make it happen, and we'll see. It's a risk. Another team, the Mets traded outfielder Mark Canna to Milwaukee. Utility outfielder, he can play left field, he can play right field. Decent player. Again, Milwaukee. Same position as Arizona. They're tied for the final wild card spot in the National League. They are still in the hunt for the National League Central with the Cubs and with the Cincinnati Reds, who have been red hot lately. But they're in that mix. But they're not set in stone. But yet you add an outfielder that you that you hope can help your team because you feel you're good enough to make the postseason. The Red, the Brewers, who have played really well against Cincinnati this year, believe that they're better than the Cincinnati Reds, despite Cincinnati having all sorts of young talent and Joey Votto playing great. So they're going to try to make it either through the wild card or through the division. San Francisco acquired A.J. Pollock from the Seattle Mariners. So Seattle's in a bit of a sell mode. They've won eight of the last 11, but they traded Paul Sawal. They've traded A.J. Pollock, and it's rumored that Teoscar Hernandez could be on the trade block before the end of today. San Francisco, what position are they in? They're in the first wildcard spot. They have a game lead on Milwaukee currently, but again, not a huge lead. I've talked about them forever, how I look at that team. They don't have an identity. They don't scare you at all. Who's their best player? You don't know. But yet they're in this position. A.J. Pollock adds another bat that can play. He helps their team. I understand it. And San Francisco is a team that is always trying to compete. They always want to be in the mix. And they're still in the hunt with the Dodgers for the division lead. So who knows? The Cubs acquired third baseman Yammer Candelario from the Nationals, formerly a Detroit Tiger. So he, he gets at it. The, the Cubs were a seller. You thought it was obvious. Cubs are going to sell. Bellinger, Stroman, all these players, they're gone. Nope, they add now. What I just told you, the Cubs, San Francisco, Milwaukee, and Arizona. Those are four teams in the National League, and they're all in the wild card hunt. 
there's only three wildcard teams that make it. So one of those teams, it will be a mistake. It will be a failure that they went down this road. Plain and simple, just a fact. It will be a poor decision. Because you also have the Marlins in there who added David Robertson from the Mets. They're also tied for the final wildcard position. And the Cubs are three and a half back. The Padres, they're five back. The way they're playing, despite a loss in Colorado last night, I don't think they're going to sell off big pieces in San Diego. That ownership group and A.J. AJ Preller, they believe that they can make the postseason to San Diego. It might be pie in the sky, which it likely is. It might make no sense. This, this Padres team has been flawed from the beginning. They've made mistakes. Tatis was out with with damn uh, steroids to start the year. Blake Snell had a slow start. You could get a pile for him right now if you decided to move him. Difficult trade because he's still extremely valuable. But being five back, I think I know what the Padres are going to do. They're going to stay pat. So all these teams are trying to add, trying to get in. And I can appreciate that. Because I love competition. But I also... Like the acknowledgement when you're not in it. When you are not a good team. Or you have a flawed lineup. To me, San Francisco, the Cubs, Arizona, they're all kind of the same team. And I don't believe any of them can win the World Series. We saw a wildcard team in Philly make it to the World Series last year. I don't. I look at the Phillies who are in the second wildcard spot right now. I think they're better than all the teams that I just mentioned. I think they, they have more depth. They have that experience. They're unlikely to do much because they spent a whole lot of money in the offseason. But they're starting to find their groove in Philadelphia. They're starting to play good baseball. But there still could be still could be some moves if the Padres decided to sell Josh Hader. Josh Hader getting traded from that team going and again you saw Paul Sewald he got two prospects in return. If Josh Hader got moved to a prominent team, what a haul that would be! I mean, a good closer. We saw in Bautista for the Orioles. He is phenomenal. He hasn't given up an earned run in 60 innings or something like that. He's he's completely dialed in. Really playing, really just, he's an instant shutdown for that club. What if the Braves wanted Josh Hader? Or Baltimore in the American League? Baltimore's been quiet. They are rumored to be in the mix for Justin Verlander, although he has a full no trade. And it was reported his preferred destinations are the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Houston Astros. But Baltimore is as good a chance as anybody in the American League to win the World Series. I don't think they are because I still think 
And again, as I said last week, I don't think you need a whole lot of experience in baseball. It's different from other sports. And you can get hot in one year and just go win a World Series. But I don't think their pitching is good enough. And they haven't done anything to improve it. And I understand that ownership looking at their team saying, we're beating everybody. Took two or three from the Yankees. We open up a set in Toronto. We win a game there. We have the best closer in baseball. Gunnar Henderson's turned it, turned it around. He's playing really well. Adley Rushman is one of the most unique catchers in the game currently. Every prospect we call up seems to produce. And our starting pitching does not have an ace, does not have a high-level number two, you could argue. And yet here we are in first place in the American League, and we beat, we win every series we're in, practically. So do you have to do that much? You can keep the payroll down and see if you can win a World Series. To me, for the Orioles, Verlander would be worth the sniff. If he doesn't want to go to your team, you can do nothing about it. Because he's got full rights from playing in the league that long. If you play in the in MLB 10 years, you get a no trade. It's called 10-7 rights. I would hate it if I was an owner. I don't know how it's not out of the collective bargaining agreement. But that's something players fought for and they still have. So if Verlander doesn't want to play in Camden Yards, if Verlander doesn't want to play in the American League East, he doesn't have to. He can stay with the Mets for the last two months, not playing the postseason and think about the future. Or he could go to the Dodgers, or he could go to the Astros. Or he I know he's been rumored to the Blue Jays a number of times. I don't see... The Blue Jays brass making that trade today. I think they have other fish to fry. But who knows? I do think he's traded by the end of today. Am I to guess he's back in Houston? Back in Houston with the team that he won has won a World, World Series with twice. Because that team is getting healthy. They're becoming more and more confident. Jordan Alvarez is back. Hit a three-run homer last night. Altuve's on the field. Bregman swinging the back. Kyle Tucker is an absolute stud. So we'll see. And as we say that, San Diego Padres have acquired left-handed pitcher Rich Hill and D.H. G-Man Choi from the Pittsburgh Pirates, according to ESPN's Jeff Passan. Rich Hill is in his 40s, still pitching. He's 43, 7-10 this season with a 4-7-6 ERA and 22 starts. The Padres will be Hill's 13th team. It's pitched with the Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs, Twins, Mets, Rays, Athletics, Angels, Guardians, Yankees, and Orioles. Wow. Choi spent a lot of his career with the Tampa Bay Rays. Had some success 
with them has only appeared in 20, just 23 games a season. Spent two months recovering from an Achilles strain. He has a 205 average of six home runs and 73 at-bats this year. So, it's interesting that the Padres add when, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, certainly. He is, they're a team that, unlike the Mets, have not said we're done yet. Have not thrown in the white flag. And they are five games back of the final wall card position. <coughs> and excuse me. But on paper, they are better than the other teams that they are chasing. They just are. And maybe that gives them hope in the last two months that they can put it all together finally. I don't know. They're playing the Rockies. you got to beat the Rockies. They lost game one. you got to find a way to win that series. So they got the Rockies. Then the Padres host the Dodgers weekend series. That never goes well for them. Then they go to Seattle for three. Head to Arizona in a big series. Then they host the Orioles. Then they get the Diamondbacks again. The Marlins, they play a lot of postseason teams. And they get the Brewers. So this month, basically every team they're in a series with will be in the playoff hunt, so to speak. Will be in the mix. But the Padres, Jeff Passon reports right now, they will be adding 43-year-old starting pitcher Rich Hill and utility man G-Man Choi to their roster. He's a first baseman slash DH. So a team that's five games out, that's still trying to find themselves, will be adding at the trade deadline. I don't hate it because I don't think that team is ever going to throw in the white flag. They're spending way too much money. They're doing way too much to, to, to just give up. But they have a lot of they got a lot of runway here. They gotta they gotta figure this out quick. They need to start winning games. Because unlike past years, they're a team that's that's saying, okay, we're gonna add to our team, we're gonna try to get better, push for the postseason. If it doesn't go well over the next two weeks, you can't trade anybody else. There's no waiver deadline. You can't throw in a Verlander trade to the Houston Astros. Those days are over. So your team is your team, and you're stuck with contracts. If you don't make it. And I don't think they'll do much more because you take on a guy with an expiring contract and another guy with an expiring contract. So it's not a whole lot of money. But keeping Josh Hader on your roster and not making the postseason when you could get prospects for him to go another way and he's a free agent this summer. When you could bring in a lot. That's. That's a tough pill to swallow if he doesn't return. 
You don't want to trade Juan Soto, but you certainly could for a huge package. Would a team be willing to take on Fernando Tatis Jr.? Who knows? These trades are difficult. You don't want to trade away every piece because you look at the Padres and say this team could be a lot better. But they haven't been. So something clearly is not working. It's August. This is in April. But that's really the, the MLB trade deadline so far. The Blue Jays also acquired Jordan Hicks from the St. Louis Cardinals. Throws extremely hard. Has the most pitches in baseball this year. Most pitches in baseball this year over 100 miles per hour. So he had a hard throw to that bullpen. Jordan Romano is also on the 15-day injured list with some back problems that are back, due back to the All-Star game. So they needed some depth in the back end of that bullpen. They get some with Jordan Hicks. So interesting to say the least. What's uh, what's gone down today, and what's gone down over the last number of days? The the Major League Baseball trade. The trades have been coming. Teams have been active. And with a number of hours left, I expect more things to happen. I expect Verlander to be traded. I expect Tim Anderson to be traded. I expect the Cardinals to do some more. The Mets may trade more than just Justin Verlander. They can find some more value. They may look to get rid of that. The Dodgers have acquired Lance Lynn. They've done stuff to improve their starting pitching. They could use some more help. Maybe Verlander will end up there. If they can't get Verlander, they may have to look elsewhere. Just because that they need... They have their worst ERA for starting as a collective for starting pitchers in a very long time. And they're not going to get a whole lot of help because of injuries. And just expecting Clayton Kershaw to be great come postseason time has never been a great recipe for the, for the Dodgers. Can they find some help elsewhere from teams that are that are selling? We have a few hours. We'll see what happens. We'll talk about it more tomorrow about the Major League Baseball trade deadline and inclu- including uh, the update on Bo Bichette and where he stands uh, going forward for the Toronto Blue Jays. UFC 291 was this weekend in Salt Lake City, Utah, headlined by Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier for the BMF title. Two guys that have been legends of the sport for a very long time. Two guys who fought back in 2018 with Poirier winning by TKO. Well, Saturday night, they fought at altitude in Utah Spectacle, Jorge Masvidal is there to put the belt around the winner. And one minute into the second round, Justin Gaethje caught Poirier with a head kick and finished the fight. Finishes him, gets the revenge, gets a win. And now has is the BMF title holder. And it's coming off two huge wins in 2023 over Rafael Faziev and Dustin the Diamond Poirier. 
Gaethje's been a legend forever. He's beaten Dustin. He's fought Islam. He's fought uh, Habib Nurmagomedov. He's beaten Tony Ferguson. He hasn't had a boring fight in his UFC career. And now the thought is, where do we go from here? Every time you think Justin's done. He's met his match. He's going to lose a fight. He's going to drop lower in the rankings. He finds a way to win. He's on a two-fight winning streak now coming off the loss in the title fight to Charles Oliveira. And he's put himself back in the mix at 155 pounds to compete for the lightweight title. For Justin Gaethje, I think he has a couple options. As of right now, Islam Makachev is going to be fighting Charles Oliveira at UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi in October. However, things happen. Charles has pulled out of a fight with Islam twice already. There always seems to be a problem with when this fight gets booked. There seems to be drama. And I don't know if Charles will, will be there for the fight. If Charles has an injury... He's not there. He can't make weight. Whatever the reason might be. To me, Justin Gaethje is the rightful number one contender for the title. He's beaten Poirier. He's beaten Fiziev. And he is right there. He deserves that look. He's fought in Charles before and he lost to him. He said he'd love to fight Charles again because he thinks he'll do better the second time. but I don't see another guy that he should have to fight before getting a title opportunity. He's ranked number two. Just behind Charles, Poirier is three, Dariush. He's beaten Michael Chandler. He's beaten Fiziev. He's at six. So, if I'm Gaethje, I don't want to be a backup fighter because I don't, I, I don't like that, where you have to go make weight. You don't, you don't get to fight. At, at this point of his career, he shouldn't have to do that. But if he wants, he can fight, he can wait, see Islam fight Charles in October, and he gets the winner in 2024. Or, my alternative option is sooner rather than later, maybe by the end of the year, he fights Max Holloway at 155 pounds for the BMF title. To me, this the BMF title is looked at as a prop. It's not a real title. It's made fun of this other thing. That's fine. The UFC can validate it by making great fights for the BMF title. And it can shut people up that don't like it. Make great fights for this belt. They just had Poirier Gaethje. They had Nate Diaz and Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. In the first one, four guys that are legends of the sport. Justin Gaethje currently has the belt. Who isn't a BMF? Who's who's a BMF? I look at Max Holloway. Max Holloway has been in the cage with everybody. He's been through wars. He doesn't have an interesting fight at 145 pounds. He's going to fight Korean Zombie in a couple weeks and beat him in Singapore. When that is done... Where does he go? He's not going to get a Volk fight because he's fought him three times. 
He's beaten Arnold Allen. He's beaten uh, Brian Ortega. He's beaten everybody in that division that he needs to beat. So for him, if he can go up to 155 pounds and fight for the BMF title, and you can put that as a headliner in a pay-per-view so you don't need a title fight, wink, wink, who wouldn't be buying that fight? Who wouldn't be interested in these two guys going head-to-head? And I also think Gaethje would be interested in this fight because it's Max Holloway. It's another legend of the sport. It's another guy who is worth his time. Poirier and Gaethje don't want to be don't want to fight up and comers. Dustin said that in his in his media after. It doesn't sound good. People don't like hearing that. I don't want to fight up and comers. Okay. Sure. For Gaethje, what if you got Max Holloway? Another title fight, another pay-per-view where you get pay-per-view points. You're a champion. You validate the belt so it's not just a fight every once in a while. I think that'd be really fun. Because I think Max wanted to fight Dustin. He said he wanted to fight Dustin again. They fought a long time ago. Poor A1. Holloway Gaethje would be a fresh matchup. Two guys that have been through the wars in the cage. Two guys that I think want these type of fights at this point in their career. Want guys they respect and don't really want to fight prospects. Holloway fought Arnold Allen. He beat him. Now he's fighting Zombie, a legend of the sport. If you could get if you could get Gaethje after that, that's another legend of the sport. And if Gaethje beats Holloway, it's another pay-per-view points. It's another impressive win. All the more reason to put him in the conversation to compete for the 155-pound crown. The BMF title does not have to be a joke. It does not have to be a prop. It doesn't have to. MMA journalists don't have to make fun of it if you validate it with really interesting fights. Holloway moving up to 155 pounds, fighting Justin Gaethje, who isn't all over that. Who inter- who isn't interested in that fight? I'd buy it in a second. It sells itself. Because I think Dustin Poirier would have been looking for that fight if he won on Saturday night. I think he wants to fight Max Holloway again. I think that would interest him. If Gaethje knows he's not getting a title opportunity right away, maybe it makes sense to go up against Max Holloway. Max Holloway said on the MMA Hour a few weeks ago, he's fighting in August. He wants to fight in December. He wants to fight again before the year is over. Would Gaethje fight in December against Holloway in Vegas for the BMF title? And in particular, if he's promised a shot at the 155-pound belt, if he wins that, all the more incentive to go in there and fight Max Holloway. And he's going to get pay-per-view points for the BMF win. Makes sense to me. Because Benil Dariush is coming off a loss. He needs a win to even be in the conversation again. Michael Chandler is at number five. He's sitting on his spot. And 
He's gonna is he gonna fight Connor? Is he not gonna fight Connor? Who the hell knows? Fazeev's at number six, he's fighting Gamrot number seven in September. Armin at Discarian does not have a fight booked yet. Interesting guy, good personality. I like him. RDA is fighting next weekend. Uh, you have Dan Hooker, who is coming off a broken arm, so he should be out for a little while. Grant Dawson's a surgeon contender. Jalen Turner is coming off a loss. He missed weight. Is he going to be at 155 pounds anymore? You have Moicano, who hasn't fought in a long time. Matt Frivola is at number 14. You have Drew Dober in the lightweights. Patty Pimblett. So there are some options there. For Dustin Poirier, he's a, again, he's always in this position where it took a while for him to find this Gaethje fight. Because he wants interesting fights at this point of his career. And I don't blame him. He fought Gaethje and he lost. And he said yesterday, I think we're a better fighter than Justin Gaethje. And I agree with him. He won the first one. He lost Saturday night. But their overall skills, the way they fight, Dustin Poirier is better than Justin Gaethje. But he got caught. And that happens in the fight game. But he said, he said this before, I don't need to fight for money anymore. I'm just doing this for competition because I love it. Well, for him, he said he doesn't want to fight contenders. Benil Dariush, he was offered that fight before. He didn't want to take it because he wasn't, wasn't interested. He's fought Michael Chandler, and he's beaten him. So Fiziev is booked. RDA, I thought RDA could make some sense because he is another veteran of the sport, a former champion. But he's a little far down the rankings. He's fought Dan Hooker. Great fight. So for Poirier, I don't know what he wants to do. I don't see him moving up to to welterweight because I don't see any, just those guys are so big in that division. There's some huge guys. So I don't know what, what he's going to do. I think he needs to sit and kind of decide what path he wants to go down. Because I think the Dariush fight is there for him. I think the UFC would book that. Maybe it would be early next year. Or maybe he would fight the winner of Fiziev and Gamrot in early 2024. But those guys aren't kind of legends. They aren't solidified yet. They haven't done what Dustin Poirier has done. But Justin Gaethje fought Vaziev and he beat him. Then he got a Poirier fight. I think Dustin really has to decide where he wants to go in his career. Does he want to fight for a title? Does he want to win the lightweight title before his career is over? be undisputed for the first time and not just an interim champion? Or does he want to have interesting fights? Because I mentioned Max Holloway earlier. I think Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier would be fun too. And they've fought before, and I think the Gaethje fight is an easier sell. But the UFC can throw that carrot at him and say, we'll give you Max Holloway at 155 pounds. It's another rematch fight. He beat Max the first one. 
other than that, if he doesn't want to fight contenders, I, I don't know. There's no easy fight, unfortunately. Because he'd have to move up to 170 to fight anybody else, and I just don't see anything that makes a whole lot of sense for him up there. He's never been a 170 guy. That's not his division. Unless he wants to fight Connor and the Chandler fight's not going to happen, they go Poirier, Connor, four, because the third fight was so weird with the broken leg. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But great win for Gaethje, and I think he has options now. That's the biggest thing. And I think Dawson, uh, Dustin has limited options. Co-main event, we had former middleweight champion of the world, Alex Pereira, fighting former light heavyweight champion of the world, Jan Blachowicz, at 205 pounds. Very close fight. First round, Jan Blachowicz won it. He shot for takedowns. He got Pereira to the ground. He controlled distance. And I thought he was going to finish him at one point. He had him wrapped up. Looked like he was going to get that choke in, but Pereira, to his credit, was working with Glover Teixeira. His ground game was better. He did not panic, and he stayed calm. Through the next two rounds, Alex showed variation. He did some interesting things. He, he avoided key problems on the ground. He used his strength to his advantage, and his striking was better. And ultimately, he won the fight on two judges' scores, uh, two judges scorecards, 29-28 to get the split decision victory. For you know, for him, he you know, Alex has now beaten obviously he's beaten Israel Adesanya. He's beaten Jan Blahovic. So he's defeated two champions at two different weight classes. Which is really impressive. And he, he looked better for himself just to be in there fighting at 205 pounds because he was so so big at 185 and I think those weight cuts were difficult. The UFC has a fight now. They have their number one contenders, Alex Pereira and Yuri Prohaska. Prohaska had to get rid of the belt. Jamal Hill won it. Jamal Hill tore his ACL. Tore his Achilles, pardon me. He's out. Title's vacant. You look at the upcoming schedule. Sydney in September still does not have a main event, but I don't see this fight happening that quickly, so that's not a possibility. They may be forced to put Adesanya on that card. So that, that's not going to happen. And that fight won't be on this card. October in Abu Dhabi. You have Islam fighting Charles already. You have kind of a stacked card there. It isn't going to happen. Madison Square Garden. We know John Jones, Stipe Miocic are fighting on that card. Would they want to put a co-headliner of a, a Pereira and Yuri? Pereira fought at MSG against Israel and he won the belt. He won the middleweight title. So there is precedent for that. That would be an interesting fight, certainly. That would be fun to put on that card. But you also have Colby Covington 
and Leon Edwards, who need to fight it sometime during 2023. So it's kind of a decision. To me, the, this fight is going to happen in either November or December. Erie versus Alex, and it's even it's set in stone now because yesterday, Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker was announced in Abu Dhabi, UFC 294. So we have that fight. Set in stone, light heavyweight. Number one ranked is Prohaska. Pereira is now three. Ankalaev, two. Blahovich four. And currently Johnny Walker is seventh. He should be higher than that. But anyway, with a win, he would jump you know, all the way to number two. Ankalaev, this would be his first fight since last December. So there's, there's only one fight to make, and that's Prohaska, and that's Alex Pereira. It'll be in November or, or December, either one. I think it would, honestly, for the UFC, Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, headlining its own card, sounds better. That fight in December would make more sense. For those two, you have them in Vegas. Co-head, you have a, a headline to itself. I think that that's that tape that pay per view will sell. Last last year in December, the card was a little lackluster. It did it had a light heavyweight title main event that wasn't all that sexy. So they may want to change up that strategy. But to me, it's the fight to make. Prohaska never lost his title. Alex Pereira. Yes, he's only had one fight at 205 pounds, but 205 pounds is different than any weight class in the UFC because it's so chaotic. It's interesting for the first time in a long time because you have you have Ankalaev and Johnny Walker is a surging contender and Pereira is now in this division and Prohaska is going to be healthy. And when Jamal Hill returns, he'll want to have his fair shake at the title. So you have interest at 205 pounds. But to me, as a co-main event in New York, that's where I would book this fight, Prohaska and Pereira, underneath John Jones and Stipe Miocic. That's where this fight should be. You have a light heavyweight fight, and you have a heavyweight fight on the same card. That's good stuff. But that Johnny Walker on fight is also awesome. The Abu Dhabi card is looking really good. Charles and Islam, you have Costa and the Wolf uh, Chamayev. You have Johnny Walker and Ankalaev fighting. You have uh, Mohamed Mahayev and Tim Elliott. You have uh, Alskarov and uh, Nasruddini Mamov. So you, there's, that card looks really good. You basically have a, a main card already. And it's it's loaded. So yeah, two ninety four. If you're going, if you're going to that card in Abu Dhabi, it looks good. The rest of the card, Derek Lewis, the Black Beast, was on a skid, comes back from the dead. Just seconds into the fight, the second the bell rings, he jumps in the air, flying knee to Marcos Roger de Lima, and. Starts pounding on him, 30 seconds in, he wins via knockout. He's back to his old ways, takes his shorts off, does the celebration, and Derek Lewis is back in the wing column fighting at altitude. Now here, normally you think, okay, Derek Lewis, late in his career, 
He gets a win. It's great. The crowd loves him. But there's actually more interest to Derek Lewis now. Saturday night was the last fight on his UFC contract. And he gets a win. So he has some momentum right now. He's feeling good about himself. And he was in the best shape of his life. But he's a free agent. He's 38. What does Derek Lewis want to do? He could go back to the UFC and sign a new deal and fight some of the heavyweights. The division is tough. No doubt about it. I think it's getting better by the day. You have Pavlovich at the top, Cyril gone, Stipe, Tom Aspinall, Curtis Blades. But Derek Lewis currently ranked 10th. I look above him. I don't think there's anybody he can beat. He's fought Tai Tuivasa. He lost. He fought Spivak. He lost. He beat Volkov in a fight that he should have lost. Has lost to Curtis Blades. I could keep going on and on. Lost to Cyril Gunn. Now below him, you have Tabura. You could make that fight. You have Rosenstrike, who he's fought. Romanov, Chris Dawkins. But there isn't, I just look above him in the UFC and there isn't a whole lot of names where I go, uh, that's a good fight for Derek Lewis. That's going to be a win. The other alternative is this. He's a free agent and Derek Lewis is the last man to beat Francis Ngannou in the octagon. Francis Ngannou signed with the PFL. He's going to be boxing Tyson Fury in October. And it's rumored he'll return to MMA in either February or March. Well, if Derek Lewis is a free agent, he's the last man to beat Francis Ngannou. That would make for an interesting fight at the PFL. The PFL need Derek Lewis to go. And they need to throw good money at him. Now, I know that Francis said, regardless of opponent, they will be paid $2 million to fight him in the PFL. That would be a hell of a lot more money than he will make in the UFC. So that's intriguing. Derek Lewis is a fun name. He's box office. He brings interest. He's got a personality. People know who he is. And if he knows he's going to go there and make a good payday, two million bucks at least, I'd be looking for more because I think they need him badly. And Francis would be interested because he gets to rectify the worst fight of his career where he threw something like 22 strikes the, into the entire fight. It's one of the worst fights in UFC history. If you could rectify it and make it interesting in the PFL, you have a brand name, you have interest level in the fight, you have a guy who beat Francis at another promotion. There is interest there. He says he wants to go back to UFC. But at his age, he should really be thinking about the money and the long term here. Sign a one-fight deal. Go fight Francis and 
March and go back. To, maybe the UFC would take you back. Who knows? Probably not because Dana White's a fickle bitch. But, I mean, it's money's money and it's business. Does Francis want to fight him again? I wouldn't care if I'm the PFL. You have to make Francis's return fight interesting. It isn't interesting right now because we don't even know who the name is. We don't. We, there's no. But there's no heavyweight in the PFL that is interesting. Is he gonna fight Maurice Green? No, he can't even win the, the PFL heavyweight tournament. This fight's gonna be on pay per view. You need people to buy it. They know Derek Lewis. He just fought on a pay-per-view in the UFC. If I'm Derek, I at least take their call. I hear what they have to say. Because I want to know what, what my future is. What's the plans with me and Francis? How much money am I going to be paid? When's this fight happening? What's the venue? All these things. But it's certainly an opportunity for him to ponder what he wants to do with his future. Kevin Holland got a big win over Michael Chiesa at 170, 170 pounds. Getting a Dars uh, submission. Chiesa hadn't fought in two years. Did not look great for him, unfortunately. I, I, I like his commentary. I think he's a really good person. I like him. I also really like Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland's fun. He's he's energetic. And he gets a win at welterweight, moves up to 12th in the rankings. He said he wants the funnest fights. He doesn't care about division. He wants the funnest fights. I'll tell you. I'll lump this all together. Jack Della Maddalena almost lost a couple weeks ago at the Apex. He wants to fight in Sydney. He wants to have a fight in Australia because that's where he's from. Well, would Kevin Holland, he won the first round. Don't think he took a lot of damage. He may not want to travel, but that would be a big fight. He said he wants to be in fun fights, big fights. At 170, that's a fun fight. At 185, you know, I think a guy like Brendan Allen and Kevin Holland would be a fun fight. Strickland and Holland would, <laughs> that would be fireworks. I think there's more fun fights at 170 for him than there is at 185, quite frankly. Uh, Jack, Mel Jack Della Maddalena, Ian Machado Gary would be fun. Um, Wonder He's already fought Wonder Boy, but they, they could do that again. Rachmanov. So there, there's some guys there that would strike with him. That wouldn't. That that would just be fun. I think for for Jack Diel, he could fight Kevin Holland in Australia. He he needs a win following that lackluster performance. That would be fun. He could also fight Stephen Wonderboy Thompson because Stephen Wonderboy Thompson did, did not get to fight over the weekend. His opponent weighed in 174 pounds, three pounds over. He did not want to fight him because he said just the weight was going to be too much. He's 40 years old, and at his age, he didn't want to do it. I don't blame him. You're paid to make weight, and Michelle Pereira did not. 
So and now Pereira's outside, not even in the rankings because he has failed to make weight in like three times now at 170. Would Wonderboy turn it around and, and fight in Australia against Jack Della Malalina? I think he would because he's Wonderboy and he's not afraid of anybody. And both guys are strikers. So I think that would benefit him. He said he wants to return to New York. But that fight would be fun. But I think for JDL, getting that Holland or a Wonderboy fight are interesting propositions. Kevin Holland's crazy enough. He would fight in Australia in September with not much of a layoff because he's Kevin Holland. And because he's, he's an, I think he's another guy that wants a crack at the BMF. Because I think he views himself as the ultimate BMF because he says he'll fight anybody. Anytime, anywhere. And he, he, well, he fought four times in the pandemic, 2020. 2021, he fought four times. So went out there, did his thing. Whenever the UFC needed him, they called. He showed up in the cage, and he was the fighter of the year. So that was fun. I like Kevin Holland, and he's got some interesting if I'm him, I'm staying at 170 because I think he's got more fun fights there. Bobby Green beat Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson started his UFC career 12-0. He's now gone 0 for his last six. He says he doesn't want to retire, wants to come back. I think it's time. I think it's time for him. You never want to kick a man out the door. But losing to, again, Bobby Green, yes, he's been around a long time. Legend, been in the cage a ton. But it was it was just sad to see Tony go out that way. Loses just in the last 10 seconds of the third round. Good for Bobby Green. Big win for him. But I, I think it's time to consider retirement. Um, Gabriel Bafim, 20 years old, 15 fights. 15 finishes. The kid's a stud. His brother's really good too. But he looked great. Roman Kopolov, another head kick. Knockout. So he gets a finish. Overall, a really, really good card. Really good card. Some interesting results. This weekend, we got another live crowd in Nashville. Corey Sanhagen, Rob Font in the main event. You got Jessica Andrash. Fighting Tatiana Suarez, who's in her second fight of her return. Couple light heavyweight fights. Tanner uh, Boser of Canada is fighting uh, Alexa Kamur. It's his last fight of his UFC contract, so a big fight for him. Justin Jacoby, Kennedy and Jaku. You have Gavin Tucker making his return, another Canadian on the card. He's got Diego Lopez, who looked really good in his UFC debut. Lost to Mozart Evaloff. But it was extremely close. That's a fun fight at featherweight. Um, we got Kyler Phillips, Jeremiah Wells, always fun. Billy Q, Baron Carantino against Damon Jackson. Jake Hadley at flyweights, rising up the rankings. Um, so, yeah, a good little card in Nashville this weekend, as I mentioned. Fight announced in Abu Dhabi. 
Johnny Walker and um, and Magomed Ankalaev. So that's upcoming. So that's another fun another fun fight ad, fight added to that card. But there should there still be some drama here because Wonder Boy has not been paid yet. He did make weight, but he wouldn't fight. We'll see what the UFC does. He should be paid. It wasn't his fault that his opponent didn't make weight. And his, at his age, he shouldn't be fighting a 29-year-old who's going to be bigger and stronger than him at the time of the fight. I hope he gets paid. Um, Felix Gustafson signed a three-year, $11.3 million extension with the Minnesota Wild. Didn't have to go to arbitration. Good work by both sides. I like Felix Gustafson. I think he's their goaltender of the future. I think he's a better goaltender than Marc-Andre Fleury, certainly. And that's their biggest problem is they have both goalies under contract. But he's a good goaltender. Really good. So ha- good for him. Happy for him to get some security. And good move by the Minnesota Wild because I think the goalies, I think the kid's a stud. Uh, NFL news quickly. Joe Burrow to miss several weeks with a calf injury. Looked like a torn Achilles. Was not, thankfully. Unclear if he'll be ready for the start of the season. Not a whole lot of info on that yet. As I get more, I will let you know. Jalen Ramsey had meniscus surgery. Reportedly going to miss six to eight weeks, but says he'll be back as soon as he possibly can. Doesn't think it'll be that long. We'll see. In the interim, the Dolphins signed Eli Apple, formerly of the Cowboys, formerly of the Saints, and the Cincinnati Bengals to a one-year contract. So he is there in in relief. Uh, the Colts, the Colts, they've had drama. Jonathan Taylor, running back, wants an extension. Colts aren't going to do it, so he formally requested a trade. The Colts aren't saying, no, nope, we're not going to do it. Then Jim, Jim Irsay, their owner, came out and said, if Jonathan Taylor died tomorrow, nobody would care because the NFL would move on. True, but you don't say that about the player on your team, in particular while they're going through this. Not to mention, also, uh, Zach Moss of the Colts broke his arm running back. So now they have less depth on the roster. Jonathan Taylor, they're going through some injury. I don't even know what's going on with the Colts. It's just it's chaos. It's bad, bad juju. But Jonathan Taylor's not happy. Ursay's not happy. It's just a bunch of bunch of crap in Indianapolis right now, but that's ongoing. The NFL preseason kicks off on Thursday night. Browns, Jets, Hall of Fame game. Going to see some some greats go in. Zach Thomas from the Dolphins, Demarcus Ware, formerly of the Cowboys, and the Denver Broncos. So that should be a fun night to get the, the NFL campaign kicked off if you can believe it. Not the real stuff, but preseason, I'll take it. Preseason NFL, I will watch. I'll watch all of it because it's the NFL. It's like a drug. MLB trade deadline tonight, 5 p.m. Eastern. What is going to happen? Who gets moved? Do the Blue Jays add pieces? We shall see. We'll talk about it all tomorrow on the program. Also awaiting word on the Boston arbitration hearing with Jeremy Swayman. So that news should likely come out today. So we'll keep our keep our uh, 
ears peeled for that one. Thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for all the support and everything that you do for the podcast. Until next time, I'm Noah Warren, and this is To The Point.